Boom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. Scott Powell. And my name is Fudd Peter Buzzard. You sound like... What do you sound like? Elmer Fudd. I was going to say Gomer Pyle. Gomer Pyle. Dude, you know, all of those old school TV shows, man, have you watched one of them in any recent age? No, but growing up, my family didn't have cable, so I spent most of my childhood watching reruns of I Love Lucy, Leave It to Beaver, and Andy Griffith. Dude, they're, that's good living, man. It, so. it didn't feel like it at the time. <laughs> no, it doesn't. My friends were watching Nickelodeon. <laughs> Nick, 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 Nickelodeon. So, you guys, um, uh, I just got back from um, skiing with the Baselli brothers. Oh, the Baselli's. And um, I literally, I wrote them an email um, because I was so in so much pain after yesterday. <laughs> like, the, I think that there's this thing that, that's, you know, that's called actually moving your body. Yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah, I hear that it's pretty good, and that that af- afterwards, like, then it's pretty awesome. The Baselli's are good skiers too. You don't want to, no, especially mess Bob with the Baselli's. Dude, Bob was laying it out, man. Those dudes, like, they like at one point I passed them, but because no, the, they, they, they they let you. Well, they were all just standing there. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, it, yeah. it was my one shining moment. It was really beautiful. Yeah, I would take it if I were you. Take whatever you can get. Yeah. Well, hey, um, this week we are into the fourth week of Lent. <clears throat> fourth week of Lent, year B. <coughs> B for, B for boom. Booyah. <laughs> yeah, B for boom. Yes, B for booyah. Booyah. This is the, this is the year of booyah. This is the year of it. Here's, here's a random piece of trivia for Kay. all of our listening audience. Oh, yeah, I want it. Tell it to me. What, I love trivia. What is trivia. this year dedicated to? Oh, the catechist. Nope. No. Um, the saints. Nope. Mary. Nope. I don't know. Wait, what is it? Isn't it the year of the catechist or something? No, Was no. that last year? Consecrated life. Oh, God, you knew that. This Gosh, is the year of consecrated life, in case you did not know. Doggone it. I knew <laughs> that. You put me on the spot. Hey, man, that's hey, how's that, That's what it feels like to be me on this podcast. Well, I don't want to be you on this podcast. <laughs> I want to be me. I just want to be me. I want to be me. I like me. <laughs> I want to be free. I want to be me. I do. Ooh. What is that from? Something I don't know. I feel, it, it sounds feels like, like it's something. Yeah, like it feels it feels right, man. It feels <laughs> it does feel right. All right, our readings. Should we jump in? I mean, Are we just if you'd like to, we should put a timer on our our silliness at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> is that the is that the alarm going off? So it's time to move on to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, okay. I think I think we should play that in the background as we're doing our silly stuff. And then we'll know when to stop. <laughs> exactly. So um, this is year B, and yep. our first reading is from the chronic of <laughs> the chronic. What? Oh, I uh, missed. Oh, wait. Uh, try, try it again. Try it again. Okay. Sorry. Our first reading is from the chronic. What? The chronicles. What? The second chronicles. <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, I do. Second chronicles. Everybody's favorite book. Yes. I know you've all been reading this at bedtime. <laughs> Kids, we're going to read from chronicles tonight. Second chronicles. <laughs> second chronicles. Thirty-six, fourteen to sixteen. Skip over a few to nineteen to twenty-three. Indeedly do. Billy boo. Our responsorial psalm is one thirty-seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are the parentheses that that um, say one thirty six next to it? Mine. Um, it's the different. There's different numberings in the Hebrew version of the Bible and the Greek Septuagint version. One of the Psalms is split into two. 
Um, so in the Greek version, the numbering splits one of the earlier psalms into two pieces. So from there on out, uh, the numbering is off. Got it. I, so so it's most kind of, of like our Bibles a, will have both. It's kind of like a horcrux for your psalms. No, I, that's not. That was a joke for people who like. Whatever. I don't know what that is. That's because you're not cool. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what it's related to. But is it a fish hey, thing? Is it a ham radio thing? Is a, it a Jeep thing and a motorcycle thing? Or It's Harry Potter. Harry Potter, thank you. <laughs> Jen Lozier's yelling into her iPhone right now. All right, Psalm 137, and then, parentheses 136, verses 1 through 2, 3, 4 to 5, and 6. And the response itself is from 6A and B. A and B. Why did they put A and B on there, dude? I don't exactly know. They probably because they probably pulled a word up between the two or yeah, something. Like yeah, yeah, they they did. They combined. They spliced. And then our second reading <clears throat> is um, properly to the land of Ephesus, mm-hmm. the people who are in Ephesus, which are the Ephesians. That's them. Second chapter, four to ten. <laughs> four to ten. Good. And then uh, our gospel comes from John. We've been in John for a bit. John chapter three, verses fourteen through twenty-one, including. The football verse. <laughs> so that's in there. I know that, which is the which. Um, it, oh, there's a priest friend of mine that he cannot read that verse without crying. Really? Yeah, God so Can loved the world. Can I guess who it is? Is yeah. it your roommate? No, no, it's not <laughs> okay. my roommate. He cries at a lot of things. He does. His, he his little soft his heart man. is like the best. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to know who it is. Just is he listening? Wrist. Oh, got it. <laughs> Yeah. If you caught it, you caught it. If you caught you it, caught it. You probably the, the people could just rewind. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, it does matter. He matters. He matters. We should, but you matter. You matter. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. So you guys, um, let's jump into the chronic. Yeah. Wolves of Narnia. <clears throat> what? Goals. <laughs> so, so difficult. Um, okay. What do you, I mean? What does one say about chronicles? <laughs> no, there's a lot. There's a lot to say about chronicles. <laughs> I'm sure there is. Chronicles is, uh, how do I say this right? An <laughs> alternate version, still true, true, much accurate. Nonetheless, it's another perspective. That's a better way to say it. Another perspective of the story we get in First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. It's the same story okay. from a slightly different perspective. It, right? Is it? It's not the same so, author, though. No, it's a different author. Okay. It's a different author. Um, and so it, and so there's different things that are sort of being brought out of both stories. Okay. But here's what you need to know about it. This is basically being written um, post-exile, right? And we know that because it is. So, so where Chronicles, the books of Chronicles basically gives us a long account of the story of David as king, long account of the story of Solomon as king. So all of, all of um, First Chronicles is basically David and a little bit of Solomon. Second Chronicles goes into Solomon and then everybody else. <laughs> so it's got a particular focus. But what it's focusing on is the kingdom. What is the kingdom like? What is the history of the kingdom? Let's focus on these two very important kings. And then basically it traces you through the downfall. Now what it does that First and Second Kings doesn't really do, it gives you pretty much strictly the perspective of the southern kingdom. So if you remember Israel... Remember, they became a great kingdom. They had this land that God led them into after the Exodus. They eventually had a king, David. Well, Saul first, then David, then Solomon. And then it was under Solomon's son. So so Saul was lousy, terrible king. David uh, came next, who was, he was good. He had some downfalls. But his son was Solomon. Solomon started out very wise and eventually turned very sinful. Yep. And under Solomon's son, a guy named Rehoboam, 
the kingdom actually has their civil war and splits in two. Okay. And so 10 of the northern tribes rebel against Rehoboam under the command of a guy named Jeroboam, if that's not confusing. Dude, enough. Reboam and Jeroboam? <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> um, but then the northern kingdom, they, those 10 tribes, they fall into a series of terrible kings and terrible sin. And eventually they are hauled off into exile, mainly killed. And then the remnant is hauled off in exile by a nation called Assyria. The remnant left in, in the south of the tribe of Judah and a little bit of Benjamin, um, they exist for a while longer until the Babylonians come and wipe them out, kill most of them and take the rest into exile. Yeah, that's for the, the loss of the 10, the ten northerns. Correct. Afterwards. But yep. this is the two. Oh, got it. Oh, this yeah, is yeah. the two. Got it. Yeah, yeah. But then where Chronicles ends, so, so this is where we sort of pick up the story, and this is being told post all of this, after this has happened oh. and after they've been allowed to come back into the land. And so what we get, and it starts this way, it says, In those days all the princes of Judah, the priests and the people, they added infidelity to infidelity, practicing all the abominations of the nations, <laughs> abominations of the nations, <laughs> and polluting the Lord's temple, which he, has conse- he had consecrated in Jerusalem. So it's saying, it's showing, and by the way, this is the last chapter of what is actually the last book of the Hebrew Bible. Oh. The Hebrew Bible ends with Chronicles. The Greek Septuagint actually ends with um, Ezra and Nehemiah and puts them after this. Um, in the Hebrew Bible, they're placed differently. So this is literally the last words of the Hebrew Bible. This is how it ends. Oh. Which is a very sad note to end on. Basically, all the kings in the south, they became like the kings in the north. They added infidelity and infidelity. They, you know, they, they um, polluted the temple. Early and often did the Lord, the God of their fathers, send messengers to them. For he had compassion on his people in his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God. Now, who are the messengers? Prophets. Yeah, it's all the prophets that were. And you, you can actually, um, we have this great tool that I, if you don't have it, you guys should get it. Order it online or something. The, uh, the, the Great Adventure Bible series with Jeff Cavins and Tim Gray and those guys put together, their, their Bible timeline, you've seen that, right? Yeah, yeah, the, the map. It, the it's, map, yeah, the chart. It, it's spectacular it, tool for studying the Bible. Absolutely. It's an infographic that basically follows the blessing yeah. and, and then puts in the context of the world history. And the it puts everything in context. It puts Where they are in the land, are they in the north and the south, so, what other supplemental books are happening during this time. What's happening in the kingdom? It it's, gives you contextual of like where does Job fit in yes. relationship to the historical books? Where does yeah. Chronicles fit? And you know where is Narnia? All that <laughs> stuff is right in there. Right. The two towers are over here. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, but, hold on. Sorry, sorry. But one of the things you notice in in around right around the period of the exile, when they are facing their civil war, when the nation splits, when they're about to be hauled off into exile by both na- uh, by both Assyria and Babylon, yeah, that's when you see this huge concentration of the prophets showing up, yeah. And so all of these minor prophets, Zechariah and, and Ezekiel and Amos and Joel and Habakkuk and all the rest, they all sort of are around the exact same time, which tells you. What God is saying is, I don't want my people to go off into exile. I don't want them to be destroyed. I want to warn them, and I want them to turn back. So again, you can. I love the, the Bible timeline because you can see it visually, this concentration of God saying, look, there's danger up ahead. It's like, you know, do you remember that scene? <laughs> it's a terrible. Do you 
you remember the scene in National Lampoon's Vacation? Like oh, the original I vacation. That whole thing very where they're well. driving in the middle of the desert and there's all those road signs that yeah. say road closed and then <laughs> yeah. they blast through they the They blast thing through and, and then like jump off the road. Right. That's what the prophets are doing though. They're all the yellow <laughs> signs beforehand saying road's gone, bridge out, stop here, up ahead. And then Israel just blows right through all the signs Dude, in the fa- in their family truckster. I have to say that like you, that was a killer 80s <laughs> reference. Which did you get that? Oh that yeah, that was message? what I was thinking about today. Yeah, th- there was a Facebook message that we got from um, uh, from a, it was Paul uh, uh, Ryan, Paul Ryan. Paul no, Ryan. no, no, it was no, no, um, it was the, the Ninnises. If I'm pr- unless I'm mispronouncing. Oh yeah, Paul Ninnis. Yeah. yeah, from Australia. From Australia, they were driving and they were <laughs> and they were trying to remember Johnny Five, and we answered it on the podcast while and they the were listening. The previous week, they were talking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and yeah. that week we also mentioned Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Dude, if they were talking about vacation this week, then you know what, Paul and your it's wife, it's, you, done. it's it's done. You guys are prophets of the Lord God <laughs> on high, and you just need to take that seriously. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> But anyway, that's what's happening. And yep. that's, that's ridiculous. But that's what uh, Chronicles is is chronicling, right? <laughs> chronicling. It is. But he we, sent all the messengers. They mocked the messengers. This is the oh end gosh. of the road. Come on. The what 90s are alive, man. That was like Boys <laughs> to Men or something. Oh, NWA or something. Yeah, we're done. We're done with that. <laughs> <laughs> but again, they sent, he sent messengers. They scoffed at them. So the enemies burnt down the house of God, tore down the walls of Jerusalem, it says. And then we kind of jump, and they did all this, and the land was laid waste, da-da-da-da-da. And here's where the book of Chronicles, again, the last book of the Hebrew Bible, ends. In the first year then of Cyrus, the king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord, which was spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord inspired King Cyrus of Persia. So the Persian, politically speaking, remember, it was the Assyrians who attacked the northern kingdom. Eventually, the Assyrians were conquered by the Babylonians, and so it's the Babylonians who then destroy the southern kingdom. And then the Babylonians politically were defeated by the Medo-Persians, which just became the Persians. So it's the Persian king, a guy named Cyrus, who eventually lets Israel go back home. Got it. They release them. But we kind of know the story. If, if you know the story, once Cyrus releases them, most of them don't return to the land. And we actually still have, you know, up until, gosh, the late 40s, I believe, um, the highest population of Jews in the world was actually in Baghdad, which is where Babylon would have been. Oh. Present-day Iraq. Yeah. Because so many of them stayed behind after the Babylonian exile. And Cyrus was was fairly benevolent. You know, the Persians were, were accepting of them, and so it was a fine place to stay. A lot of them went back to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple, but the temple was a shadow of what it used to be. And so this um, it's this sad situation of, okay— this is where the Hebrew Bible ends. We've been allowed to go back home, but our home's not really ours anymore. It's still controlled by Persia. And yes, we rebuilt this temple, but it's a shadow of what the other temple used to be. And they actually, it, there's a recount in Ezra and Nehemiah when they built the new temple. Remember this? And, and all the old so men bummed. and old women were weeping yeah. and crying out because it was so pathetic compared to what it once was. And so to look at this and say, okay, yay, exile's over. We're back home. Everything's fine. No, that's actually not. It's not fine. We're back yeah. home, but it's not our home. We have a temple, but it, it's nothing like it it's should a have shadow been. Shadow of of what it could have been. So is God still here? And that's the question. And, and I'm starting my class on the Psalms tonight. This is the same time period that the Psalms are not written, but they're compiled in. Mm. And the Psalms do this job of looking back and saying, "Okay, what do we do now? 
Here is where we've come from. Here's what our kingdom was. Here's the exile we went into. And now we're back, but what is God doing? Where is he? Because we can't seem to find him. And even though we've been back in the land and we built this temple, God's presence actually isn't in the temple. We all saw it leave the old temple, but nobody saw God's presence come back to the new one. So where is he? And what do we do in this kind of period of silence? And there is biblical silence for hundreds of years until Jesus shows up. This is sort of where we're left. 490 years. 490. Well. 70 weeks of years. Yeah, yeah, after they go back, yeah. Yeah, and so it leaves you with this question of, and again, the fact that the Hebrew Bible ends on this note of just like, okay, (laughs) I guess that's that. There's got to be more, right? Yeah. And that's where, and it's it's appropriate, I think, that during Lent, we're sort of left with this. We know, and this is the, the thrust of Chronicles and, and the Psalms, frankly, we know who God is. We know he's faithful, and we know he's going to come through with that for us. We just don't exactly know what that looks like, and we don't quite know what to do with ourselves right now. And I think that's kind of a good reflection in Lent. If we really enter into yeah, Lent, absolutely. if we really enter into the Passion, imagine being like those disciples, like, okay, Jesus is dead. He died on the cross. I know God is who he is. I believe Jesus' words, but what do we do now? Yes. And that's a good problem to try to enter into. And that's where Israel is as this first reading ends. Does that make sense? Tons. So that's where we are. And then I think the psalm... um, Just to jump. Picks this up really well. Pick it up, pick it up. How does it pick it up, Father Peter? Well, it picks it up this way. It picks it up. Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, <clears throat> if since you've asked, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like how do you how do you actually rejoice? I mean, I think that this to me is like one of the most potent moments um, in the Psalms that we see. We sat down and wept by the rivers of Babylon, where we remembered our home, yeah, and and how we how we hung up our instruments and. But our captors, they asked Why us did they hang songs. up their instruments? Because It's a great image. The image is really powerful. It, it, it is. I mean, because there's no temple. I don't know. This is what I'm thinking. I, That's I, a part of it. I, I mean, what do you, when do you break out the instruments? When do you break out the lyre festival. and the harp? Yeah. What are they not doing? We're not celebrating. They're not We're in celebra- exile. We're, We're hanging up our instruments. There's no celebrating. I mean, it's kind of like Lent. Again, we put the Alleluia aside. You accidentally said Alleluia before the podcast. You just said it twice. You out. You can, we can talk about not saying it, can't we? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what's really fun is like that is like the total forbidden, like, you know, the, that H word. I said the A word. Oh, the H word. <laughs> <laughs> it is the H word. It's the H word. Oh, man. Unreal. <laughs> <laughs> can i say hallelujah just not hallelujah no you can't okay. say nothing Shoot. dude you can't say you can't even say oh <laughs> yeah you just said it maranatha can i say that <laughs> yes okay no i can't That's you can't say word. maranatha That's the same word maranatha that topped us out on the sound <laughs> sorry about no that. But, but this is great i mean it's not great but there they are by the streams of babylon and by we it's the remnant of those who haven't been slaughtered by the babylonians who are yes. now in slavery and exile by the rivers of ba- by the by the river chabar probably up in babylon they're sitting and weeping when they're remembering zion why i mean imagine Oh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, well, I mean, it's 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 like one of those things to where like you 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 stand by the um the the where the two towers were like oh in, oh in New York in New York yeah 
you just like there's a we were certain, talking about Tolkien earlier so yeah Tol- Tol- where's it going with that okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you're just you're like there. this is such we are in such loss and we yes. don't even know how to be in the spaces that we are yeah I, I saw oh this is such a weak example but I saw I was traveling and I saw an episode of Friends on the plane <laughs> and in the opening credits of Friends and I used to love I, I watch Friends a lot but in the opening credits, there's that shot of of the World Trade Center, and you can't see that without being like, "Oh man, that's right. That was before." Like you can't think about this thing that has happened in our collective past and not have this like, "Ooh, man," you know? It, it's it's just that it, it, that for us that event was so formative and so image laden that you can't see the image of that anymore and not feel something so they're sitting and they're thinking of zion they're remembering the temple you know maybe they've got a little book or some scroll that has a picture of the temple on it you know who who knows what it is and like, oh man the temple this is you know it's just terrible this 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 i don't know that's a weak analogy but i mean it's just so ingrained into who you are i mean you know even to to this day the jewish fasting months are the months that recount the temple's destruction because you fasted traditionally in the ancient world Typically during the morning for for death during a funeral, yeah. and they considered the temple like a person. This is God's presence among us, and He's gone. It's dead. Yeah, and it's that potent. Now, what's I think kind of interesting about this, and I, I wonder if this speaks to something, something spiritual. Because so, what are they saying here? And you were you were saying it. Our captors, uh, for there are captors asked of us the lyrics of our songs. And our despoilers urged us to be joyous. Sing for us the songs of Zion. So remember, they said they hung up their instruments because they're not celebrating. And their captors were like, no, sing songs. Be joyful. Sing songs about Zion. And they're like, we will not sing song. How could we sing the song of the Lord in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand be forgotten. Now, this psalm that we're reading. Yeah. Let my tongue be silenced if I ever forget you. What is this psalm about? What are they singing the song about? Don't think too deeply about it. They're singing the song about being sad. About? Not singing songs. About? The songs that are being asked of them. <laughs> Which are about what? The um, songs of Zion. Yeah. So they're basically saying, look, we can't sing songs of Zion about Jerusalem. But what is this? This is a song, a song about, about Jerusalem. It's very meta, Zion. isn't this? Isn't a, it? This is super meta. It really is. No, we can't do that. As I'm singing this song about not being able to sing the song about what I'm singing about. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. Which is, to me, so I was thinking about it this morning, and I was like, that's actually a really Lenten thing to do. No, I can't. I, I, they're doing it. They're doing this thing that feels impossible to do. It's like the apostles... Trying to figure out, okay, Jesus is gone. What do we do? I'm not just going to... You don't get the sense that they just sold everything and went back to... Well, maybe you do. I mean, Peter's back on the boat when he's got his fishing boat back by the time Jesus rises again. But, you know, they're in this upper room at one point. They're still together. They're like, okay, what do we do? We don't know what to do. There's nothing for us to do, so let's keep moving. We don't know how to move forward, so let's move forward, right? right? You just celebrated a funeral this morning, and just the idea of death, the idea of losing a loved one... How do you move forward? Well, I don't know, but you do it. You just sort of plow through in a certain way. Yes. That's sort of the Lenten observance. You plow through, right? Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah. 
at the risk of being abstract. But I, I was just struck by that as I was reading it. And I was like, wait a second. They're singing a song. That's what the psalm is. It's them singing a song about not singing a song about Jerusalem. And uh, yeah, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Which, by the way, you couldn't play your lute. Oh, you couldn't play it, your lute. It would, uh, or your, or your lyre, <laughs> or your harp, dude. I mean, that's harping on this. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Let's okay, move on. Come move on. on, Ephesians time, dude. Yeah, I, I don't know. So that, those are some thoughts. It's it's an interesting one, though. Isn't yeah, it? I think that let's just like look at those thoughts in relationship to the, what's happening in the rest of this reading. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a deal. Um, Ephesians. Okay, here's what I want to say about Ephesians. Talk to me. This part of Ephesians in particular. So Ephesians is not like the rest of Paul's letters. It's... Um, yeah, it's just different. It's put together differently than the rest of his letters. It, it doesn't have the typical like opening and greeting and just the things that it usually does. Some some of it does, but it's different. So usually Paul send you know he says who it's from. This is from Paul, which he does in Ephesians. He says it's to the saints in Ephesus. Although some versions of this have the words in Ephesus in red ink, which is really fascinating. So some of the most ancient documents we have, the Book of Ephesians, yeah have the words, to the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Ephesus, it's in red. And so some actually believe that although this was originally written to the Ephesian, the church in Ephesus, which is in Asia Minor, in present-day Turkey, it was so powerful. Ah. Ah. But it was so powerful that at one point the Ephesians actually removed their name from it, and it became one of the church's first encyclical letters. Got it. That it was a letter that cycled through. Because it's one of the only letters in the New Testament we have from Paul where he's not fighting a fight or he's not arguing with somebody or trying to put out a fire in the church. He's simply allowed to sort of speak on his own terms and he's giving us his theology. And what's so beautiful That's awesome, actually. Like, if you think about it, especially Ephesians has such rich content. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. It's crazy good. But here's part of the content. So instead of his usual Thanksgiving section, which he usually has in letters— he goes into this berakah, this Jewish blessing prayer in verse three, and he launches into this prayer. And one of the things that <laughs> I love this, it frustrates scholars to no end because they don't know how to compartmentalize this letter. They're like, okay, here's the greeting. Here's where he starts into the prayer blessing, but we don't actually know where that blessing ends because he should, where, okay, so where does the body of the letter begin? Well, maybe it begins around chapter two, verse one, but they're all in, in confusion about where the body of the letter actually begins. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you have yours open, what is the very last word of chapter three? Of chapter three, give me a second here. Um, two, uh, three... Uh, plerumeno. <laughs> yes, which means? One who fills. No. Chapter 3, verse 21. Chapter 3, Don't verse... read it in Greek, because the words are out of order. Um, above all rule and... <laughs> hold on. Where's... Oh, that's one. Oh, that's the problem. Yeah. Chapter 3, you were looking for. Mm-hmm. Okay, so past, the last word of chapter 3, but we're in chapter 2. I know, but I'm asking you what the last word of chapter 3 is. Oh, the, um, amen. Yes. So some scholars say, wait, is he praying through the first three chapters? Like, where does he start the letter? Because he begins this prayer oh. in verse three of chapter one, and then it's all over. At times he's giving praise and glory to God. Then other times he's speaking theology. Then other times he's talking about the community. And then he says amen at the end of chapter three. And again, scholars get so frustrated because they're like, well, where do you, 
where does the prayer stop and the theology begin? And that's my favorite aspect about this letter because you cannot, you can't figure out where the prayer ends and the theology begins, which is where true theology actually is supposed to come from. And I think we lost a lot in modern theology once it was strictly taken out of the monasteries and it became an academic pursuit because once theology is removed from prayer, it starts to become dull and dry and boring. Yeah, I just feel like I'm trying to see that, uh, you know, like, let's just put a church title, let's say no. St. Thomas Aquinas, the bumper sticker. St. <laughs> Thomas Aquinas, where prayer ends and theology begins. You don't want the prayer to end. I know, I know. Just to illustrate, like right. what what happens when you separate prayer oh, and theology? Oh, then yeah. you're like, it's it's a horror. Like even just saying it that way, you're like, yeah, that's that absurd. Sound right. This is an academic pursuit. No, this is yes. this is a pursuit of the whole person, yes. which includes the intellect. But it's so beautiful, which is why. But flows from the soul and the heart. It has to, or else it becomes lifeless. Yes. And that's why, you know, sorry, but my job is a hard one, especially doing my dissertation and teaching these classes and trying to study and do all this stuff. To do it outside of prayer makes my whole life miserable, and it just doesn't work anymore. And the words that I'm producing and the things that I'm teaching are just, they suffer. And even though God can still do great good through them, if I'm not starting with prayer, if we're not doing this podcast starting with prayer, right. then it's going to be a lousy podcast because you guys aren't just showing up just to hear theology and nuances of Greek words and 80s movies references. <laughs> Maybe you are. I don't know what you're here for. But you know what I mean? And once we remove that, yeah. then that's just terrible. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. Yeah. I, my, my whole homiletic theory as of late is what I lack in content, I make up for in brevity. That's what you said on Sunday to me. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, that, that's the thing is that it's like only only share the fruit of prayer if you because yeah. because every fruit has a root. So what are you tapped into? And like this podcast would be great. You know, it'd be funny if you listen to its budget eighty reference, but then it's just comedy. But I don't think it would. I actually think it, our humor would be lost. I think all of those things would be lost if we didn't give this over to God. We would be on an invisible island to the rest of the world. Oh, that would be terrible. Uh, Stuck together forever. Forever. It's, oh. it's not purgatory. <laughs> Is that a reference to something? Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, but how, how does this tie in? So what does this have to do with anything? Well, in his prayer... Yeah. Paul is talking about God who is rich in mercy and this great love he has for us. And even though we are dead in our transgressions, we're brought to life with Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved, have been raised up to him. We're dead in our transgressions, he says. And then he goes on at the end of this. He talks about all of the things that God has prepared in advance for us. So you read all this sort of thing in light of the first reading and in light of the psalm that, look, we're dead in our sin. The first reading is a story about them being dead in their sin. Yep. They sinned grievously and their whole land was lost. Their kingdom died. Yep. They were dead by the rivers of Babylon, weeping. But yet there's enough grace, even in the Old Testament, even prior to Jesus coming, there's enough grace that they can begin to see, but we know that God is still God and he will bring us out of this. We don't know how, but we know that he will. And Paul's basically doing com a prayerful commentary on this, saying, look, even when you were dead in your transgressions, God still knew where he was leading you. Yeah. He was still there. Even if you couldn't see the, the, the Shekinah, right, the glory cloud in the temple, that doesn't mean God was absent. And when you know the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, when the silence after the Old Testament is broken and God begins to speak into history again, 
the first, one of the first things the angel says to Mary is that you're going to call this child that you're going to give birth to Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And that name, even the name that, that, that baby Jesus gets is a sign that, look, God has not abandoned you. This prayer that you've been praying and weeping and in mourning for all of these years, even though you thought God has abandoned you, he hasn't. And, and the name, remember, Emmanuel, doesn't mean God will be with us or God's going to be with us. It's God is with us. God is always the present eternal tense or the eternal present tense, right? He is. Yeah. And so in our Lenten observance. Well, well that's the whole th- experience of the Lenten ex- observance. Yeah. Right now, if you're having a hard <clears throat> Lent, we're into the fourth Sunday. We're just about to hit fourth Sunday. And it's hard because it's like, Okay, Lord, is anything good going to happen? Because I see it consistently that, like, when Lent gets hard, mm-hmm. it gets really hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a Friday, but Sunday's coming. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, my favorite thing, so this changed This changed my life in a, in a lot of ways. I was reading when I was, uh, I must have been a sophomore or a freshman in college, and I was just discovering theology, per se. Yeah. And I read a book with the most misleading title oh. of any book I know of. Talk to me. Which was Joseph Ratzinger, his introduction to Christianity. Which is nothing of it's not an introduction. No, it's, <laughs> it's like an intense. It was it was like it was like um I, I picked up a book. It was uh you know, Carol Waitiwa, so it was JP two before he was who was a pope and it was like The Way to Christ, a a retreat given to high schoolers. <laughs> and like really? you start reading it and you're like I'm, holy snot not only am I dumb as rocks <laughs> like because I, I have like two degrees and I can't understand this <laughs> but like the, who are those high schoolers you know maybe they didn't understand it either <clears throat> which actually funny enough the guy uh, Jan who uh, oh. I celebrated the funeral for his wife today he um, his uh, mother used to give English lessons to JP2 when he was no. a, y- a young priest and what? so that he would have dinner with him are you kidding me no so it was like, wow. I know it was like a really small world and he was, he loved that. That that's was amazing. I mean, that's like, oh, I remember Carol. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It's incredible. I know. I was like, yawn. Oh, yawn. Keeping it real, dog. But, so I read uh, Introduction to Christianity. Okay, which and, is not an introduction. No, it's pretty advanced. But he at one point talks about the experience and I'd never done this. I'd been Catholic all my life, but I'd never noticed or something. But he said, go into a church and I encourage you guys to do this. I always encourage people to do this because it's profound. Go into a Catholic church on Holy Saturday and just sit there. It's the day, it's the only day that there is until the vigil. There's no mass on that day. The tabernacle is empty. It's no, stripped. No mass, no mass, no more. No, no mass, right. <laughs> but, but yeah, the, the, but yeah, he, the he, tabernacle is empty, the and he altar says, is stripped. And he says, sit in a church and feel the emptiness. Experience that there actually is something different about this place. And I went and I was like, really? Is that true? And I sat in a Catholic church on Holy Saturday and there was nobody there. And the tabernacle, the door was swung open, the, ta- the, the altar stripped, and it feels freaking different. It, it's a weird, weird feeling. And I was, it was this revolutionary moment in my life of like, wow, this, whatever's not here right now is real. There was something that's actually not present right now. And it's this profound experience of the absence of God. And what we're asked to do, and the reason the church kind of goes through this, is to realize that, okay, God has disappeared, but he's still there. He's still present. God still is, even though, even the, the, the little things that we have to see him with. I mean, 
God in the appearance of bread and wine. He still doesn't look like what we think God would look like, but even that is taken away from us. Even yeah. our veiled view into who God is is removed from our sight. Yes. And we as the church are asked to move forward in faith anyway and presume and hope that there will be a Sunday. He's coming back. I can't see him. I can't feel him. It's empty. It's stripped. But I move forward anyway because yep. I know what God has planned for us, which is what Paul is saying. Even though you're dead in your sin, you're empty, God has prepared this in advance. It's waiting. The angel's going to be sitting on top of the rock having rolled it away. Or Jesus having rolled it away. Whoever rolled away the stone. Right? Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think it was Mumford and Stone who actually <laughs> oh, rolled away geez. the stone. Enough. Enough out of you. <laughs> Enough out of you. Move on to Nicodemus. <laughs> okay. Okay, good old Nick, dude. Well, the, <laughs> we get into John chapter 3, which John, um, you have to know that, there, that uh, John is structured in a very particular way. Indeed. And um, w- uh, one of the things is is that he's really trying to show us the signs of what Christ has done. And um, what is this structure? For some reason, I-, I have the book of signs and then the book of... Well, there's all sorts of ways to divide up John. I know. There's the book of signs. There's the uh, the I am statements. There's... Oh, yeah. John likes to... to categorize things, right? So he has all these statements that he gathers together of Jesus saying, I am the vine. I am life. I am the bread of life. Yeah, all these things. Or the, uh, the um, what did you say? The sign, the book of signs. There's seven signs that happen throughout this. Yeah. Um, where we actually, so we pick up a little after where we were last week. But do you remember last week where we left off? It was... Uh, when he said, um, he gave that whole thing, the, the cleansing of the temple, and he said, destroy this and rebuild it in three days. And he was just being in the temple <clears> of <throat> his body. Yeah. But what it said at the end was, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he did. But Jesus didn't, and actually in Greek it says, he didn't believe them to himself. They believed in him because of the signs, but he didn't believe in them. Is actually what the Greek says. Oh. Which is interesting. It says, in my translation, it says he didn't trust himself to them. Because he knew all men and needed to bear witness of man, for he himself knew what was in man. Whenever John talks about man or men, yeah, he means sinful, fallen man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he didn't need <coughs> to have anybody testify because he knew it well. That was the way yeah. it was said. Yeah, yeah exactly. He, so already, he knows human nature. So he's talking about sinful human nature and all these men who are looking for signs. And then, lo and behold, this guy named Nicodemus shows up. And John's, <laughs> hey, everybody. And Jesus is, or rather, John is making a point that he is the embodiment in a certain sense of this. But there's something in him. And it says this guy, Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, he came to Jesus by night, under the cover of night, which actually takes us back to the beginning of John. Remember, it says the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not actually, overcome it. What actually says in Greek is cannot comprehend it. Oh. That's what the darkness can't do. And now you have this guy coming under the cover of night, trying to comprehend this Jesus, right? Oh, very nice. Yeah, it's interesting. And so Jesus is trying to break into this hard-heartedness, really, this emptiness, this this embodiment of the person who has really fallen into sin. And and you get the sense, and you, I see this from the Pharisees, and you can kind of glean this from the from the Gospels. Imagine, you know, back to that situation from the first reading. You have the Jewish people, they're back in the land, but it's not their land. You have a temple, but it's not like the other one. God's presence hasn't come back, and you're left in this situation of, okay, what do we do? 
and we've been waiting for 500 stinking years. <laughs> At some point, you just kind of have to move forward. So what Jesus is breaking into is this, what Nicodemus seems to have, which is kind of this mindset of status quo, man. You know, we've been waiting for 500 years. We're just going to have to live with it. I'm not going to keep living day to day thinking that, okay, someday God's going to come back in. He's going to set everything right. Magically, everything will be great again. We're just going to deal with it, right? We're just going to move forward. This is the mindset of the Sadducees. Everything is fine. Look, the temple's fine. We don't need the Shekinah cloud anymore. Let's work with the Romans. Everything's okay. We've waited too long. Let's just move forward. That's what God does not want us to do. And that's kind of the idea mm-hmm. of, well, you know, Jesus died, so let's just move on. You know, he was a good man. He was, that was great. But now let's just get back to work because there's, there's important things to do. We can never lose the sense You know, people thought the early church was crazy because they fully expected that Jesus would return in their lifetime. Yeah. And they weren't wrong. We're actually, every Christian is called to believe that Jesus will return in their lifetime. Even if he doesn't, we're called to believe that he will and be prepared for it. It's been 2,000 years. Totally. You get the idea that, okay, it's time to move on. No, it's not time to move on. And so Jesus is breaking into this guy, Nicodemus, who is, I think, in the mindset of, okay, you know, we're back in late. It's good enough. I don't know if that's what he's thinking, but I imagine that'd be a really easy thing to think. It's good enough. You know, we're here. We got this temple. The The Romans are putting up with us. It's fine. And it's we're putting enough. up with them. We're putting up with them. I, we'll gosh, deal with it. That sounds very much like uh, buckling down for Lent. Doesn't it? It's You're like, okay, well, everything. I mean, I guess that kind of worked or whatever. That was yeah. great. Let's just bail. <laughs> totally. You know, like- everything's really okay. I don't really need to fast and pray for stuff. Yeah. That ain't too big of a deal. The beauty of Lent is that we're asked to do something that that should hurt a little bit. It should be a little bit painful with the understanding that that pain is going to be done on a very specific moment and time when you can celebrate and have the chocolate again or have the beer, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah, the beer. But that's the idea of the Christian life. Like, we can fast. We can be, which makes Lent a lot easier if you're not like, okay, can I give up this stuff forever? Like, can I just live my life with this diet or with this thing or not having that? Lent is designed that it hurts for a little while so that you can really appreciate when you get to celebrate, right? Now, if you're giving up something like punching your brother in the face or, or cussing or something, maybe you should... Actually, Keep let, let doing it go those the whole things. time. <laughs> but, but ideally, you know, the not having meat on Fridays and stuff like that. And the idea is, and the idea of Lent, and the idea that Jesus is really trying to, to push here is that, look, you can deal with it because there's a moment coming when this is all going to change. Like, we can deal, we should be able to deal with the Christian life as Christians because we know that there's going to come a time when God breaks into history and removes the veil and sets everything right. Like, we can fight the pro-life movement. We can fight against the culture. We can look like idiots. We can be made fun of by the people across the street at CU. We can be made fun of by the media because you know what? We know that the story's not over yet. But I think Christians sometimes get in this mindset of like, oh man, it's just too hard. And we think in terms of perpetualness, right? Perpetuity. Mm. I have to keep doing this forever. Forever. Am I willing to keep fighting this fight forever? Or do we really believe there's going to come a time when the veil really is lifted? And the truth is seen. Because I think if we saw that, it'd be a lot easier to say, okay, I'm going to push forward because I know that this is going to bear fruit. Yes. And I know that there's an Easter Sunday coming. Right. Even if it doesn't happen until I die, it's still coming. Uh-huh. Which is where Jesus 
goes with this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He could do that because he knew the end of the story. He yes. could make that supreme sacrifice because he knew where he was going so yes. that everyone who believed in him might not perish but have eternal life. His telos, yeah. I mean, that's that's the key is if you don't understand where you're going, you don't know where you are or where you've been. Yes, that's it. And and like he, he like the Lord is saying eternal life is the destiny that you have and I am doing everything to get you there. Yes. Everything. Everything. Mm-hmm. I and anything to get you there. Well, I love this line that Jesus says, and this is the verdict that the light came into the world, but the people prefer darkness to light. Because their works are evil. <laughs> yeah. For whoever does evil things, hate, does wicked things, hates the light and does not go toward the light. So his works might not be exposed. But whoever lives truth comes into the light so that his works may be clearly seen as done in God. And that's how the reading ends. But I love that Jesus, and Jesus' statement is finality. This is yeah. the verdict. Yeah. This is it. The light is in the world. You can ignore it. You can hide in the darkness if you want to. Doesn't change the fact that what's done is done. Father Ryan O'Neill uses uh, the analogy, how, how does Jesus heal? Hmm. How? Honesty, openness, and willingness. Honesty, openness, and willingness. Yeah. Hmm. So, so being able to be truthful with yourself and then being able to be open about it and then being willing to change. Yeah. Like that is, that's life. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the destiny of our life is to be entirely open and transparent and in full communion, you know? Yeah, totally. So let's do it. Okay. How? <laughs> well, you guys, um, our sponsor, Verbum, is doing a really interesting thing. Um, and I just wanted to throw a plug in. If you are, uh, if you have a high school, I know that we have some high school teachers and administrators who listen to us. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a $5 million gift that they are giving out of their software to high schools. Hmm. Um, and so uh, what you can do is you can apply at verbum.com yep. to get verbum at your uh, at your um, at your school, which would be absolutely phenomenal. I think that there's a couple of constraints. Um, I think it's like $2,500 you have to pay to them um, at a point to be able to have the training there. But um, uh, so verbum.com forward slash the number 5 million and um, and you can promote that, and and uh, there's going to be a ton of software being poured out for high school students. I will tell you, just think about this. I have I have met so many really creative high school students who are thinking about things in really new and interesting, fresh ways, and huh. getting them really great scripture s- tools to study. Like you listen to lanky guys, mm. followed by doing some scripture study yourself, and basically you'd be a genius. <laughs> So if you uh-huh. want to turn your whole high school into a bunch of geniuses, mm. hook, hook up with verbum.com forward slash the number five million. And um, and you really could have a, a really wonderful gift. Um, so Absolutely. So that, that's the best. And uh, um, oh, yeah. And then you also have to be a one-to-one technology BYOD program, which I don't even know what that means. We'll put all the info on our website and on, on our Facebook site so you can link to it and you can check go check it out. And uh, <clears throat> just a, a shout out to... Um, to Bob, just because he was he was like, hey, to Bob Baselli specifically, because he because we were he was he was saying, you guys don't do enough shout outs. Oh, we've cut back on the shout. I know outs. we cut out on the shout outs, but uh, I wanted to give one specifically to him because he's pretty darn cool. I just gotta say, he is pretty cool. Sorry, I couldn't be with you guys, Baselli's. Yeah, yeah. Scott skipped out on the ski day. <laughs> oh, I had to. Yeah, it's, but you did noble work. Guess what? Thank it's you. Lent, and in, <laughs> unless you actually had a real tell us, then. 
you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't know why you did it, True and then story. you'd just be angry. Truth. All right, you guys. We will be back next week with a brand new episode. That Brother is Peter's awesome. That is, unless I cut off, um, I cut out your tongue first. I'll still be here. I'll just be quiet. Okay. <laughs> you can get more words in. Yeah, that's true. All right, check <laughs> us out on Facebook. Find us on. Uh, I don't know where else we are online. <laughs> like, like where, somewhere on social yeah, media. Somewhere on somewhere. social media. We'll be back next week. We love you guys. Happy Lent. Keep it real. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.